0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry and also inside the lives of people with we'll those in the know and giving their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me, I have no stranger to Beyond the Album Cover. He was here once before. You can go back and listen to our prior interview to get more of his background, how he came to be, but we're going to talk about Tobacco Road, Sports Radio, among other things. And it's a great day to be a Tar Heel always. Mr. Desmond Johnson of Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Pop that Tar, tar Heels hoodie with pride. Desmond, <laughs> welcome back, bro.
1: What's up, Gerald? What's going on, man? How you been doing? I know, I know you've been busy pumping out content and uh, doing your thing, man. I've been watching you online. So uh, uh appreciate you having me on.
0: No problem, man. I'm, I'm trying to pump out content like Master P and No Limit, dropping the albums out almost every month. <laughs>
1: That 97 flow. He's gonna just, just every month is hit him with something. I'm yeah. You.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. The only thing you're missing is the bootleg artwork though.
1: <laughs> we just need that and some uh, beats by the pound and we good to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And speaking of no limit, I believe I read that um Mac that was signed to No Limit is gonna be um getting released from prison. Oh wow. Yeah.
1: Man, it's hard to keep track of the guys that that went in and you know the, the belly of the beast just swallowed them and we kind of forgot about him there was so many people in the in the mid to late 90s that were hip-hop artists it's it's kind of crazy we look at it now and compare it to today it feels like there's just like a handful and all, everybody kind of sounds the same mm. Biting is in you know like back then it was every there was so much from all different parts of the country it's hard to keep track of who's in who's out who's putting out what <laughs> who's doing whatever but uh happy that he's getting out
0: yeah 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 and speaking of hip-hop let's go ahead and dive right into hip-hop uncovered which has been airing on fx's believe a six-part docuseries where they interview some of the heavy hitters in hip-hop that had ties to the streets like miss deb atney and her brother bimmy who is miss deb is the mom and bimmy is the uncle of waka flocka big u and some of the other legendary street figures. So what's your take on that series?
1: Man, I me being a, I wouldn't call myself a hip-hop historian, but I'm a geek for uh, hip-hop history, you know, and, and just kind of learning things I didn't know before. And I thought I knew pretty much everything there was to know uh, about that era, but this is a really good show. I've only watched the first four episodes. I, I haven't watched part five and six yet. It just dropped this past Friday, and I typically wait and watch it with my wife, who's kind of a nerd with that as well. So I haven't watched the final two episodes. But from what I've seen so far, um, I, I, I didn't realize how big Haitian Jack was like in the, the underground. I didn't realize how big Trick Trick was in the underground. Like, I knew of Trick Trick as an artist, uh, but I didn't realize that he was involved with so much stuff uh, behind the scenes in Detroit and hip-hop in general. All of these guys, really, uh, Big U, uh, he seems like he's a he's one of these like mythical Marvel villains that's been in the background this whole time, like pulling the strings on stuff in L.A. and, and on the West Coast. So it's crazy to see all really all of them to see all of them and how they've been touched in hip hop, Bimmy and, you know, the street life that he led and then getting through to Def Jam and all this kind of stuff. And you see how many artists they touched along the way. And honestly, hip hop wouldn't be hip hop today without those four. So. It's been an eye-opening show, to say the least, but I, I love those kind of shows. So I, when I saw that it was coming on, I, I marked it on the calendar to make sure I could check it out, and it's been pretty good so far.
0: Yeah, same here. I haven't seen the final two episodes, but I was surprised that he got Dr. Dre for an interview because knowing he rarely gives interviews.
1: Right? And he's all over it. Like, he it's not just, like, a little pop-in. He's literally, like, in every segment talking about stuff, which makes sense. It gives the, the series credibility just because of Dr. Dre's uh, impact on hip hop over the past quarter century. Uh, anybody that knows me knows that I'm the biggest Dr. Dre fan there is. Like, I, th- I'm not necessarily involved in music anymore. I used to do production back in the day, but just the sense of I call it audio perfection that he that he does in terms of his ear. There's only some people that are walking around on this earth who have an ear that can hear certain things that other people can't hear like when you mix a certain thing a certain way, whether it's a song, whether it's, you know, sports talk, whether it's radio, whatever it is, there's a certain special gift that some people have in terms of putting down, uh, sounds, audio, like things that are pleasing to the ear. And Dre to me is like the pinnacle of of that. Like, regardless of what he's working on, you know, audio wise, it's going to sound damn near perfect. And I kind of, a lot of the mixing and things that I've done in the past and do currently right now, I take a lot of, you know, uh, things from him. He, he is like, to me, a mentor to me in terms of like what I want things to sound like, like how I want things to go, how to flow. Um, even if you're like a DJ at a party, just knowing what to play after that song, after that song, after that song, that's a gift, like to be able to keep moving the crowd with a certain type of audio sound. And Dre to me is just like number one, when it comes to having like that ear that I trust. So I, I try to emulate a lot of stuff he does audio wise. Uh, I'm thankful that he's uh, recovering apparently from the, what was it a brain aneurysm I think yeah, he had yeah, about, about a, a month or so back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, out of the hospital. Sounds like he, you know, didn't lose a lot of uh, of what makes Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre. So hopefully he'll have something coming out in 2021 for us all and um, you know, hopefully he's here for a long time.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to believe that next year the chronic will be thirty years old.
1: Oh, <laughs> it, <laughs> it just hurt me heart. feel old. <laughs> it just, oh my gosh, it's got me right in the chest. But and it still stands up. You can put it in right now, listen to it in your car, and you're like, man, some of this stuff you could play on the radio right now, and it would be like, oh man, this is new, this is fresh. What is this? It just goes to show you, man, when you have that kind of ear, you can hear, you know, things ahead of people. Uh, that's a gift that definitely shouldn't be ignored.
0: Right. And to think about the lineage that spawned from Dre, you know, Snoop, Eminem, and 50, all that ties back mm-hmm. to Dre. And the Kendrick Lamar and as go, well.
1: Even, yeah, you can go Game, and gain Kendrick Lamar. I mean, like, it just keeps going. Like, he's literally, I think Dre has had the biggest influence on, we call it mainstream hip-hop, but I would say more popular music. Like, not pop music, but just popular music. Like, Dre is one of the main people responsible for making rap mainstream over the past three decades. And like you just said, you can literally go down from the early eighties to now, like you can literally pick a year and whoever the hottest artist is in that year is probably produced by Dre in a group with Dre on a label with Dre or it's Dre himself. So it's literally, you You see the lineage from NWA and even before that, like, you know, instead of Sonic, you know, (laughs) like going way back. Like you could see the progression from NWA to to all the stuff out of Death Row. Um, One of the things that that hip hop documentary on uh, FX reminded me of, I knew, but it kind of really hammered home the fact that we have never seen a recording label like Death Row Records. We probably will never see one like it ever again, where you had 12 year old suburban white girls in Nebraska singing along (laughs) you know like it became such a big deal i remember as a kid i wanted to live in cali i wanted to i wanted to work for death row i wanted to be a producer i'm 13 years old out of north carolina and i don't understand all the gang culture and everything else going on behind the scenes they were just cool you know they were the cool thing to be and i don't know the way the music industry is set up right now i don't know if that'll ever happen again where it was like the nineties was almost like wrestling clicks. You know what I mean? Like each label was like
0: DX, their own little like,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, you had all this stuff like bad boy, death row, uh, duck down. You had Wu Tang, you know, you had so, so Deaf. Like all the labels were like these clicks that all had like three, four, five guys or girls on it that could wrap their asses off. And it was just like, everything sounded different. Nobody wanted to sound the same. Rockefeller. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff, I don't know where it went. I guess corporate America kind of just slowly, you know, seeped into the culture and has made it now where it's all individual and it's all, everyone sounds like everyone else. No one wants to be out there and be different or unique. And I think that's, what's pushed me away a little bit from hip hop today. But back then, yeah, it was like Monday night nitro pretty much. I mean, you, everyone was in a click. Everyone had like a group, Uh, and that was what made it fun. You know, like who, who are you with? Are you with death row? Are you with bad boy? Are you, are you Wu-Tang? Cause they, you know, the Wu-Tang boys, they have like tattoos and decals on their trucks. (laughs) You know I mean? Like crazy stuff like that. You don't see that today. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's different.
0: Yeah, it's very different. And you got a couple of years of me, but I can attest to how growing up in the 90s, death row and everything that was coming out of California, that was our view of what we thought the West Coast was like with, you know, Ministry Society, Boys in the Hood, South Central, on the Latino side, might be the loca. We all thought that this is what Cali was like. And then at the infamous Source Awards in 95, when Suge Knight got up on stage and made that declaration to not have the artist or producer be all in the videos, <laughs> all on the records, dancing, come to Death Row it was very similar to how, like you said in wrestling, how when you try to get that cheap. That's exactly what it is. All riled up. You don't love y'all. Don't because
1: love us. These
0: yeah. cousins, y'all love for Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. We know where we at. Step in the house. Yeah.
1: And I was at the peak of like NWO being like the hottest like cultural thing out too. Like you got to think like this is 1997. 96 you know when this is all going on and that was back when like wrestling had just come back into mainstream the nwo was edgy people didn't know if it was real because you didn't have like internet the way we have it now so you know they could do things each week and you'd be surprised by it and death row to me was kind of like that nwo over the whole (laughs) industry they took over like they literally took over like every you won't find a label where pretty much every album they put out went platinum like all of them and I think there's a lot of people walking around today in their mid 40s that drink Old English for the first time because they like Defro, row, smoked weed for the first time because they saw it in a Defro row video, dressed the way they dress, talked the way they talk. It may not be from California. So just that influence of hip hop from the 90s. I wish that still existed today. And maybe it does in circles and maybe I've aged out of it. You know, maybe it's just, you know, the kids today are on something different than what we were on in their era and their age. And I know that I had older cousins that were on stuff that I hadn't found yet when I was that age back then, you know, I wasn't into Tribe Called Quest and Rakim and Eric B and uh, Big Daddy Kane and stuff like that. When I was 10, 12, you know, 13 years old, I was into Snoop and Dre and Biggie and uh, Craig Mack and Wu-Tang and all the stuff that was like my time, my era. And I think that's the main issue with hip hop today is that, younger listeners don't want to give the older heads a chance to explain to them what it is. And the older heads dismiss the younger heads for not understanding what's really quote unquote hip hop. And that's the major problem that you don't see in any other music genre. You don't see uh, Metallica lecturing, you know, the garage band on how to make a perfect song or, or this is garbage. This doesn't sound like rock music. You know, you don't see that, but you see it in hip hop, like all the time you see, Older artists coming down on newer artists, or you see newer artists disrespecting older artists. And I think that's part of the reason why hip hop's in the stage it's in today, where there's a sense of like history lost. You know what I mean? Like, I think my generation kind of feels like we lost an opportunity to teach what we were taught to the ones underneath this. And now we're not sure how to kind of mend that fence, I guess. And, And that's where we are.
0: Right, and some of you all probably drank Saint Ives for the first time while listening to that Cali music, and also bumping that Saint Ives '94 mixtape. Alicia Keys actually sampled the Wu Tang joint from the Saint Ives mixtape from a song that she did on. Oh my album gosh, you brought later. it
1: back, yo! Look, there is a um, there is a dog pound Saint Ives commercial that I've been trying to find for like 15 years uh, that had a beat underneath it. They only used it for the St. Nice commercial, but like, it was like one of the hottest beats. They had one. And then Tupac had a St. Nice commercial that had a different beat underneath the two that he's rapping to. And uh, after a while, you know, they stopped showing that stuff on TV. Have you ever drink a St. Nice like a mixed drink? Like the one. No, they were selling no, in those-
0: no, no. I'm a dare, I mean, ref- dare to be different.
1: Fla- flavored any freeze, Like literally I could get through one. And then within about 15 minutes, I'd be curled up in the fetal position, like over in the corner because it, it's so sugary and like sugar and alcohol don't really mix with me Mm. so if i got through one i was done for the night like not even drunk just in pain like it just hurt (laughs) tricking them (laughs) things uh but yeah that you took me back to like 1996 97 summer 97 drinking mixed berry saint eyes listening to dog food i mean it don't get no better than that It ain't ever been better than that
0: (laughs) yeah did you ever do a brass monkey
1: no, no, never you know did a brass, brass monkey. Brass monkey is right. <laughs> I think so. Uh, man, what's your what is your what are you thinking a brass monkey is? All right,
0: brass monkey. I <laughs> didn't know this until I saw a video explaining and this is what the Beastie Boys was talking about in Brass Monkey off license to ill, where you take some OE and orange juice and mix it.
1: Oh god, no, no, like, the, like no, hood, never did that. Like I the was... hood
0: version of a mumoto. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, I can't imagine mixing anything with Old English, and it's going to be more pleasant than than what it originally was. Um, I do remember in college; I was in college at UNCG from ninety nine to 03, and you know we experimented with a lot of different drinks. But I, I remember <laughs> one in particular was uh <laughs> <The> pre game <laughs> uh, red Red Bull. Red Bull and vodka was Ooh. like hot for like a summer uh, when I was in, when I was in college. Yeah, so we stocked on Red Bull, and then vodka and we 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 pregame like you said we pregame before we go out to a you know a frat party or whatever going on that weekend I think we tried it for two weekends and after that second weekend it felt like it it felt like your heart was going to explode and you wanted to run a marathon but you also wanted to take a nap like at the same time like it it was this weird like feeling and we didn't like it after the second weekend was like this isn't something you can do every week you'll die (laughs) so we had to pull back and get back on that beer tip. But
0: wow, wow. college
1: college was fun into the 90s, early 2000s with hip hop and everything we've been talking about. So all that kind of melted together, so.
0: Yeah, and the crazy thing about the 95 Source Awards was that Bad Boy was of course on top at its height and being that was based in New York, they had the home crowd. But in the midst of all of that, Outkast ended up winning best new artists And the South was in the middle of the whole East Coast, West Coast thing. Then Andre 3000 made the declaration that was the call into arms for Southern hip hop. The South got something to say. And then that started the boom of everything that came out of Atlanta. And then the higher profile of other Southern regional scenes such as Houston, Memphis, Miami with a slip and slide and everything that was coming out of the South, cash money.
1: Yeah, and that's the that's what I miss. I miss the variety. Like I I liked looking at my CD book and seeing okay, all this is organized noise, Dirty South, you know, Outkast, Goody Mob, Ti, that kind of stuff. And I could flip the page and be like, okay, all this is Helter Skelter, OGC, Buckshot, like East Coast Capone, Noriega, Mob Deep, like you know, Bubble Goose type music, and then. You can flip it again and go to the West Coast. Flip it again, go Midwest with like Twista and like Common and the Brat and stuff like that. I miss Crucial Conflict. (laughs) I miss that more than anything. The variety. It doesn't feel like there's variety uh, aimed towards me. Now there may be variety, and I'm just not aware of it because I'm 43 years of age and I don't really check for hip hop the way I used to when I was 23. You know, in the store buying everything that came out, but it doesn't feel like anyone's really uh, promoting their material. To me, like it doesn't feel like anyone is talking about whatever in their in their songs that relates to what I'm going through at age 43, which is crazy because I know there are artists out there that are in their 40s that have been in the in the game for 20 years and have stuff out there. I know Buster Rhymes put out an album a couple months ago. I still haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. You know so, that that kind of thing. The the Eminem re release the B side that he put out for Music to Get Murdered by. I haven't heard all that yet. You know, I've just been so busy. I know that the guys in my generation are still putting out content. I just wish it was still placed. On the same level the pedestal that it was placed when it would come out uh 20 years ago so so it's easier for me to find
0: right and the funny thing that you mentioned when we're, t- we're talking about crucial conflict one of the rap ads came out of midwest chicago there were some videos posted around on facebook of high school bands playing "Hey," <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> they're funny. not talking um... about that, they're talking about <laughs> hay but not that type of hay in the barn
1: yeah, that yeah, that was a different type of hey that we were talking about back the, back then. That that song actually went hard. Um, they were one hit wonders. Uh, them, I don't remember them doing anything else after that song. Oh, they had uh, ride but the yeah, rodeo,
0: was, but it wasn't a bigger big hit like hey.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I don't remember that at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they. I mean, that was my that's my generation. I graduated class of ninety six. So I mean, I was right in the pocket of that year. I saw a meme the other day. I think on Facebook. Like, uh, choose the one album that you wouldn't take with you. It was like nine albums. All of them came out in 1996. And like, I fully, truly believe, I think we've talked about this before, that 91 to 2001, I consider it the golden age of hip hop in terms mm-hmm. of if you look at everything that came out during that decade and compare mm-hmm. it to any other decade in hip hop history, mm-hmm. hip hop exploded into a billion dollar corporation during that decade. It, it made platinum artists, not gold artists, not guys that are going to show up on soul train here and there like these are guys that are showing up on trl like these are guys that are getting played on MTV at three in the afternoon like it blew up into this big thing and you got all these classic albums that came out in 95 94 95 96 to me is the sweet spot that's the pocket like when you go into those three years and see the stuff that came out from you know everyone from tribe called quest to dre to wu-tang to you know, you name them. The big Jay Z debut during that stretch, like there's a stretch right there in that three-year pocket where hip hop just hit super size and uh, you know we saw the everything with Biggie and Pac and everything else, kind of cooled it down. And now it's kind of like hip hop trying to find its way again. So uh, I'm not I'm not sure where it's going to go from here. Uh, everything's so different now, to radio and everything else. So.
0: So do you think the reason why Bad Boy was so disliked amongst, like, Death Row and everybody liked the harder stuff was because their sound was more bright, fluffy? It was tailor-made for radio and clubs. Um,
1: honestly, I think the, the, the hate toward, well, it wasn't really hate towards Bad Boy. Um, I think it was more hate towards Puff. And it was really more because he was he just he figured out a way to get his records on like nonstop and told you beforehand, you know, they're not going to (laughs) stop. And then he was right. They just kept going. Right. Like and I think people people didn't really start to dislike Puff until after Big passed, I think, because when Big passed and then Life After Death came out, Puffy was all over it. And then uh, Puff comes out with his his joint Puff Daddy and the family. And 97 was the year of Puff. Like, he was everywhere. Like, you couldn't turn on your TV without seeing him. And I think it got to be more people got tired of seeing and hearing his voice more than anything else. I don't really remember a lot of hate towards Puff uh, when Big was here and when Bad Boy was Bad Boy. I mean, Bad Boy was the, the East Coast equivalent to Death Row. Like, literally, like, they were just as hot on the East Coast. And the East Coast hadn't had anything for maybe... Five, six years before Bad Boy really broke through that. So I don't really remember people being mad at Puff before Biggie. I remember being people being irritated at Puff after Biggie was gone because he was just on everything. <laughs> like every record, every video. Like he became a he became a, a star behind the mic instead of behind the board. And I think that's what annoyed a lot of people back then. But a couple years we got over it he changed his name and we got over
0: it yeah yeah, you, you gotta love bad boy you gotta love their sound and also too the one thing i was glad about with the no limit chronicles and then of course rough riders chronicles shows that although these two different styles and sounds in different parts of the country were unique to them they did numbers and also murder inc had a hot run for a minute too and then also on the underground side Dipset had a run too with cameron joelle freaky ziki hell rail max b
1: there um i love uh hip-hop evolution on netflix and i really hope they get a chance to do kind of like at the end they're about to go into the drake kendrick lamar j cole type era and, and some other stuff that's happened since then but um one of the f- episodes I love is the one in this last season where they're talking about how 50 and Cameron and TI and guys you mentioned really kind of came to power through the mixtape game. Uh, like the whole episodes about mixtapes and how it took over from 2002 to 2006 or so where, uh, dip versus G unit. That was the argument really, like which, which click was the best click, who was putting out the best music and, uh, I remember 50, even after he put out get Richard die trying after he signed the aftermath, he put a mixtape out like a week after, like a week after that album dropped and he, he shipped and sold a million first week. Then he turns around and puts out a free mixtape, like five days later with like other stuff on it that wasn't on the album. And like, people just weren't doing that back then. Like 50 literally took the, the drug dealer mentality of flooding the block with your product and applied it to music, like on a grand scale. And, uh, Again, we're not going to see anything. I don't think we're going to see something like that in hip hop anytime soon. It'd be for refreshing if we did, like if a group of guys decide to get together and build a, a clique that can support each other. I think Slaughterhouse is probably the closest thing I can think of to recent times following that old school model of clique building uh, in hip hop. And Slaughterhouse, they work out because the audience today, the majority of them didn't understand it. Like they didn't understand the concept of, of lyrics actually moving units as opposed to you know the same casio sounding beats uh, with weak bass lines and the, the snaps and <laughs> you know what i mean like every, everyone's so accustomed to the same type of stuff uh i call it chant music where it's just basically you're just chanting like the whole song you're not really rapping you're just kind of you're chanting and agreeing with yourself on a separate track and that's kind of where it is there's no creativity and a lot of that's because Stuff like mixtapes got erased out uh, by the feds, really. Uh, It just moved online, like with Chance the Rapper and stuff like that. Uh, But it's not the same. It's not the same feeling as, you know, finding your man at the flea market and he's got this mixtape from these dudes up in New York. And you're like, oh, I've heard you before, but they don't play him on the radio. It's that feeling of hearing it the first time from something you found, like Ken's as opposed to someone shoving an MP3 in your face and going, hey, you need to hear this. Everybody likes it, you know, yada, yada, yada.
0: Yeah, because I can remember being in high school. This was back when the CD Burning Hustle was huge. If you had a dial-up connection or DSL, yeah, had Kazaa, Bear Share, Morpheus, LimeWire. You would download <laughs> all your joints, giving it to your plug to get your mixtape game right. That's how I first heard about Fifty and Get Rich or Die Trying. Actually, I first heard Fifty from um, How to Rob.
1: Man, I, me and my, well, my wife at the time she was my girlfriend. We were in Myrtle Beach on a vacation, and we were in the uh, the Tanger Outlet, I believe, and we were just shopping. We were in like a record store or something. This had this had to be like probably two thousand two, I think. Some like summer two thousand two, spring. And we're rummaging through the the tapes or whatever, and I find 50 Cent is the future, like, in the in the thing. We're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And, like, I kind of knew him through, like, the source and stuff like that. Um, how to Rob had been out. He'd gotten shot. You know, he no one had signed him. And uh, I was just sitting there. Th- I was looking at it, and I'm like, wait a minute. This is a mixtape. This isn't, like, something put out by a major label. How did this get here? You know what I mean? Like, how, that, that was my thought as I'm staring at it in the aisle. I'm like, how did this mixtape get here to myrtle beach south carolina in 2002 and literally come to find out through shows like uh the hip-hop documentary on, on uh on fx and other things that uh shy money his his manager at the time was really driving state to state and with boxes and dropping off boxes in individual record stores and would literally be like uh he'd have a guy planted like in a store and would be like uh they would play like a clip or something off of one of the songs that like uh, Stretch and had might've played, you know, that Friday night and they'd play it in the store and he'd have the guy planted over in the corner and he'd go, that's the song. That's the song I've been looking for. Do y'all have that? And then like, he did it a couple times. And when he did it the first time and the first the two other people that he didn't plant were in the store too. Were like, that's it. Yeah. That's the song that I've been looking for. on Stretch and Bobito. That's what I want or whatever. And, that's how uh, Wu Tang, same way think, uh, with uh, what's the dude's name? Riz's brother, uh, that was managing them. Uh it was the same way, taking boxes to record stores, planting people in there, having them play it and having the people recognize that organically, and then the record store wanna buy it. So like they were just moving units literally hand to hand across state lines and of course you don't have to do that now, but again, I think that made that hustle even harder uh for them, so it meant more and then
0: yeah, because I've also believed Too Short, E-40, Hammer, all of those guys from the Bay followed that same philosophy, like you said, of just NWA, doing that work, yeah. planning it bit at a time. So by the time when the major labels came knocking – they came to you and you had the leverage you say i moved these units blah 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 without major labor distribution doing it myself so i want this much and i want that much and that's how i believe master p was able to get that 80 20 deal with priority for no limit
1: yeah all the PD deals that happened in the 90s production and distribution where basically those labels were giving artists imprint labels of their own and taking a cut you know, after expenses of distribution and the, and the owners would own their, well, the artists would own their masters, uh, in most cases. And uh, that's why you're seeing a lot of older rappers now that are in their forties going into their fifties that had deals like that living pretty comfortably, you know, master P, uh, baby from cash money. Although that's a whole other conversation and episode talking about why, you know, baby's got money, but <laughs> the, uh, we all know why. those got. those gods are sitting sitting tight because they're still getting residuals off of stuff that they own from you know 96 that came out that people are starting to find again you know uh, Wu-Tang just went through this uh, last year and year before with uh, the Wu-Tang episode or the series that came out on Hulu that's fantastic and I think they're finally doing season two then they put out the documentary on Showtime Uh, it's the 25th so stuff started coming out Wu Tang owned a lot of that stuff themselves. So now, like all this stuff they put out 25 years ago that's gone through, you know, evaluations of worth, like over time, they're on an upward trend because everyone's find, refinding Wu Tang. You know, like Wu Tang, you can listen on Spotify. You can listen to You can go buy the stuff. I mean, and they own that stuff now. So that was the long game. That I don't know a lot of artists are playing up putting a brick of money up to their ear and taking a picture or, you know, putting a... Who's the one that put the the $40 million diamond in his forehead uh, a couple L- weeks ago? Lil L- L-
0: you know, L- L- Uzi Vert. I guess he saw Avengers and Vision one too many times.
1: Vision. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Marvel Cinematic yes. Universe. Uh, WandaVision is is fire right now. I was worried going into it, but it's everything. I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody that hadn't got a chance to watch it, but if you're a Marvel geek uh, like I am, a comic book nerd, it's been everything is advertised and it's setting up everything else uh, for the next probably 10 years. So
0: yeah, definitely. That, shout out to the Olsen's parents. I mean, you're probably still spending Mary Kate and Ashley money and you got the Marvel <laughs> money from the little sister as your pension plan. That's how you do it.
1: I, I a lot of people didn't even know that Elizabeth Olsen is uh, sisters with the Olsen twins. Uh, once you find out and you look at her face, you're like, okay, I, I definitely see it now, but. Yeah, I think a lot of people didn't even know. You don't really see them in pictures together or anything. So, um, but yeah, that yeah, Wanda wanted doing her thing. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put, put 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 some money on Aunt Becky books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, she needed. And while we're on the subject she of the West it. Coast, I found out that Dub C from you know Westside Connection, he's the technical advisor on Snowfall
1: oh wow okay see that's that's a joint i need to uh to start watching um it's great my wife looking for something to start bingeing. engine pilot i watched the pilot and i never got back around to getting to it um but yeah it's on my list of things to do and i think the season three just kicked off uh, yeah, see, recently, see, so yeah
0: season four just yeah so, getting yeah, get, in, get into that uh all americans another good just show fun. that that i watch um you know that's that's a good one to watch. Yeah. And I also heard too that Fifty, who has for life, and of course Power, the Power spinoff, which Method Man is on, that he's going to mm-hmm. be developing something for Stars about BMF, the Black Mafia Family out of Detroit.
1: I saw that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually Fifty, I, I was a little concerned about him. You know, because he when he was making music regularly, it felt like he was making the same album over and over and over, like from get Richard is not much different than curtis or animal instinct i mean they're kind of they follow the same blueprint really they just the beats are just different and i was worried he wasn't growing so what was he going to do and, and luckily for him he kind of found his niche in television producing shows producing content in that level uh i'm a huge power fan uh, i'm a huge fan of power and the universe that courtney kipp has created um i was a little worried about uh book of ghosts in the beginning because Ain't gonna lie, Mary J. took a couple episodes to kind of warm up to acting in that role. She was very stiff in the very beginning of that season, um, but she found her. She found she found her lane. Um, the kid that plays Tariq, man, he really impressed me. Like it's almost like they're they're trying to rebuild Ghost, but like in a different way, like smarter, like learning from the mistakes of his father. And like it, it takes a lot to be able to go from the end of uh, power. Where you know Tariq killed his dad, like in cold blood, and to get to the end of season of season one of Book of Ghost, where he's he's been transformed into a almost like a not a hero, but someone you want to root for, kind of like Tony Soprano. Like where Tony Soprano wasn't necessarily a hero, but you rooted for him. Like every you wanted you wanted your team to win, and with Tariq, you're starting to see that same type of thing in power where they've, they've basically converted an audience. Like, I mean, we wanted to kill Tariq. <laughs> like, everybody in the country was like, they hated that kid. And by the end of the season, now everyone's like, okay, now I see the vision. I see what's That's just good writing. I, I really like power. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, the next one that they just start filming um, in the books that they're doing. uh, supposed to center around Tommy. Uh, Tommy Egan, like, and I think he's in Chicago. Like, he leaves New York and goes to Chicago and starts there. was uh, in the cast last week, and I, I just like what they're doing. I like the whole like stretching of the universe instead of just when Power ended, it just ended and there was nothing else to go to. Uh, I think it's just incredible what they're doing from Courtney.
0: Yeah, because I, I haven't seen Power, but I know a lot of folks that do. But three his wave game is on point. I don't have the patience for waves. And you know, his ways look immaculate. So shouts to him. One show I gotta start been watching because of the pandemic is The Wire, which is where I first learned about Egypt's Elba and before he became people's sexiest mm. man alive, Michael B. Jordan.
1: <laughs> I've never watched The Wire. Um, I need to. I've got friends that tell me I need to start it. I think that's again, it's another one where I watch the pilot. Uh, I just never flip back around to get over there to it. Um, I've heard it's fantastic. Uh, if you like HBO dramas, then you need to watch the wire and your Sopranos to me is one of the best television shows in history. So I probably do need to sit down and check it out, but yeah, I've never, I've never had a chance to really get through and binge the wire, but maybe I should put that on my list too.
0: Yeah. And the uh, on Showtime is a good show to watch as well. They're right now producing in production for the new season. I Jason Weaver, he got promoted to be on this season. Also, Tabitha Brown got promoted to join mm-hmm. uh, shy for uh, this upcoming season, so they're in production for that right now, but Let's switch gears from music to sports. The ACC is kind of up and down. Carolina just lost to Marquette, I believe, Wednesday after being undefeated at the Dean Dome this season. So do you think that we'll see an ACC team make a deep run in the tournament, or do you think it's pretty much going to be Gonzaga, Baylor, and maybe one of the Blue Bloods if they can uh, turn it around conference turning time?
1: Uh, the only team in the ACC that, uh, that, at this moment of this taping, I feel like can make a deep run is Florida State. Um, they're long, they're deep. Leonard not had a team last year I thought could make the final four before they shut everything down. And really, Florida State's been at the top of the ACC in the past four years. So this really shouldn't be a shock to anybody. Uh, Scotty Barnes uh, was going to be a top five draft pick in the NBA draft uh, after this year. Um, I would not be surprised to see Florida State in the Final Four. Um, When it comes to blue bloods like Carolina and Duke, I know Duke's playing much better. Um, They've got – I think they've got Louisville tonight. Uh, We're taping this on a Saturday. Uh, Carolina's got Florida State at home. Carolina had been undefeated until they invited Marquette in. And this Carolina team, the only thing consistent about them this year is that they're inconsistent. Like, they will go and do something like drop, you know, 40 – uh, you know, have a win, a win by 40 over Louisville and then turn around and lose to a Marquette team that's kind of middling in the Big East. Um, it's hard to put down what they are. It's just they're so young. They've got seven freshmen in their their 10-man rotation and all of their guards are young or they're, they're someone like Andrew Playtech that's kind of limited in what he can and can't do. Uh, Leaky Black has underperformed in terms of what my expectations were for him at this point of his career. Uh, the big men are straight. They probably got the best front court in the country. But with with young, inexperienced guard play, that's going to hold them back. Duke might be a problem. Duke might end up getting sneaking into the tournament and being a high double seed, like an 11 seed or 12 seed that nobody wants to play. Um, they just feel like a different team without Jalen Johnson. Uh, they just feel like more cohesive, like addition by subtraction. Uh, and it looks like they're actually having fun. They weren't having fun throughout the, earlier in the year for whatever reasons, and we'll never know because it's Duke. They won't really volunteer that information to us. But it looks like they're having more fun, so I'd be a little weary of them. Uh, I've said I felt Gonzaga could go undefeated and win the whole thing, with an undefeated record, which hadn't happened uh, since Indiana I think 72, I think it was. It's the last time we've had a team, or 76, something like that. I think last 72. time we had a team that we went undefeated and won the National Championship. It was 76, yeah, Indiana, um, Bob Knight's uh, team. I think Gonzaga can do it. The knock on them is that they play in a weak West Coast Conference, uh, so once they get to the conference play and then bat- they get thrown back into March Madness, they're also a team they're not prepared for. I don't know if that's the case with the year's team, mm-hmm. but I expect them to be there at the end. I haven't seen enough of Baylor, to really make a judgment on them, but I know they're good. They were good last year and I would keep an eye on Juwan Howard's boys in Michigan. Uh, I think they're playing the best basketball in the country right now and uh, they don't really have a star. They just play really, really well together. They know what they are and they're, they're beating the brakes off of people right now. So I I would expect Michigan to be a factor at the end too. It's going to be a weird March madness. Like we might have COVID issues where teams have to drop out and, uh, You're going to have Blue Bloods that are going to be low seeds. They're going to be knocking off high seeds probably. It's going to be interesting for sure. I'm just happy we're going to – it looks like we're going to have it when we didn't have it last year.
0: Right. And speaking of Michigan, uh, the Knuckleheads, uh, Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles, they just had Chris Weber on. And it sounded like from when Chris Weber was talking with them that the Fab Five, they're all back on speaking terms because I know that C-Web didn't appear in the Fab Five 30 for 30. That was – EP by Jalen Rose. And it sounds like everybody's back on good terms. You know, Michigan and C-Web got invited to the football game a couple years ago. Then I think he was there when they made that title run back in, I think, 2018, I believe.
1: Well, he was up in the um, – they weren't on speaking terms in 2018. But before Jalen, Juwan Howard, and Jimmy King, they were down on the floor – uh, see what was up. To. Um, now part of that's because Michigan had a ban on Chris Webber being involved in any Michigan activities for like I think it was a like 10-year ban or something like that mm. uh, and he's underneath that ban so he couldn't uh, be an official wing alumni you know down on the like that that just ended I think in 2019 so that's why you've been seeing Jalen and others basically talking about You know, Chris needs to just apologize and come home. Like, if he just apologizes, then Jalen's not willing to let it go because Jalen's the one that introduced him to Ed Martin in the first place. So he knows that Chris knows Ed Martin. He knows what Ed Martin did for Chris Weber after he declared for the draft. And he knows that Chris lied to the grand jury. So, like, he knows all these things are true. And Chris is in this this rock and hard place where uh, he's already dug in so deep. I'm not sure if he's ever going to apologize for it. And it's sad to me because, you know, Michigan's one of my favorite. It is my favorite college basketball team of all time. The, the 91, 92 Wolverines, the Fab Five, like they were they were uh, sports clashing with culture right in front of our eyes. Like we saw the, the sport change because of these five guys. And when you look back on it, Gerald, they didn't win a single thing. They never even won the Big East Conference. You know, like they never won a conference tournament. They never won a national championship. Uh, they just they won the hearts of America. That's what I like to say, and uh, changed the way that we look at sports today. Yep. I've got Tennessee and Auburn on behind me, and every single one of them have long shorts on. You know, like that happened with the Wolverines yep. wearing black socks to play basketball, in, bald head, having tattoos, uh, being bringing that playground style to the court. It started with UNLV the year before, but Michigan took it to another level. Like Michigan took it to a level where it was like. They were a must-see TV. Like, they were just – they were really – I can't really put my finger on it, and I wish they had won something. And I think if Weber came back for junior year, they would have won the national championship because they made it to the Elite Eight without them. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, if they are back on speaking terms, that's great, and I hope they do – Jalen and Chris, in particular, I hope they never those fences because, uh, you know, I adore those dudes and I hope they really get together.
0: Yeah, although I hated the C Web Gath timeout, it was great for us Tar Heels fans because we ended up winning it that year.
1: I, uh, I was a freshman in high school when that was going on, and everybody knew I was a huge Carolina fan, but they also knew how much I loved that Five, so they knew I was kind of torn with, like, you know, who are you going to root for tonight? Like, well, if you kind of win either way. Uh, I don't really know, because this was after Michigan lost to Duke the year before. So it was kind of like, to me, I'm thinking, well, I don't know how cracks they're going to get at this. I really want them to win it. But I'm like, dang it, why does it have to be against Carolina? Like, you know, I want Dean to get his second one. Like, that's the one – people need to see him get to push him into this level of where he ended up being. And the way it turned out, I think if, uh, if Weber hadn't called that timeout, I mean, Carolina was leading, if I'm not mistaken, when that happened anyway, I think they were up one when it went down. So we still don't know if that would have affected the end of the game, but it, it makes you wonder what if, you know, like would Weber have came back for junior year? Probably not. Cause if you watch the fab five 30 for 30, they were hand to mouth in terms of like, none of those kids had money. Like when they were on campus, uh, they were pretty much broke. Uh, Weber got that money after he declared for the draft and left. So it was that pocket those couple of months in between is what we're talking. It's not like he had $300,000 while he was, you know, at Michigan. Um, would Dean have had another chance to win a national championship after that? I, I don't know. Maybe. I think he, I think he got back to another final four with uh stack and Wallace. Um, and I believe he took Carter and Jameson to one uh, in 97. But would, would he have won another one? I don't know. So I, I'm happy with the way things turned out. Of course, you know, like I said, being a Carolina fan, I'm not going to be mad that they won a national championship <laughs> at any level. Um, but I wish it hadn't been against the Fab Five.
0: Right. And you mentioned uh, the UNLV running Rebels, rest in peace, Coach Tark. And then also that kind of started further back with, the late John Thompson, those teams at Georgetown and then also the late John Chaney, his teams at Temple, both two coaching pillars and college basketball that we lost and how you don't see coaches like that no more. I mean, Coach Thompson had the rep where in the streets, the heavy hitters knew not to mess with his players. And he took on AI when schools backed away after the bowling alley incident in Hampton.
1: Right. Yeah, you don't really see that too much nowadays. I think in college basketball in particular, it's so overran by club teams and AAU and that, that mentality. Where, um, Duke's a couple minutes ago with Jalen Johnson. He bounced around to like two or three different high schools before he got Duke because he wasn't getting playing time or whatever it may be. So the signals the very jump. I and mean, he's not the only kid that's built like that. The only kids that age nowadays are kind of uh, molded to believe the system should be for them as opposed to going and working for it and getting it um, because they've been coddled a lot of times. Uh, you know, you're such a good player, this, you're that, you shouldn't have to do this, you shouldn't have to so sit on the bench. So you get a lot of that nowadays, so you don't really get a good feel. College basketball, I think, is in trouble in terms of something's got to give with the one and dones, either they, they can't come in at all and they can go straight to the league from high school uh, or they got to come in and they got to be in for three years or something because the mentality of a lot of these kids now G league is going to mess this up for college basketball, because a lot of these kids and you got some of them in their plan uh, this year, they'll just bypass college and just go to the G league and take their chances there. Now you can't duplicate the same type of exposure. Someone like Zion Williamson got at Duke for his one year, like you just can't duplicate that at the G league. It's just not going to happen, but you're not going to duplicate Zion Williamson either. Like that was kind of a a one of every 10 year type player that we get that probably needed to go to a major college to expose himself in that fashion. If he went and played for the Greensboro swarm for a year and then entered the draft, we wouldn't, we wouldn't talk about Zion Williamson the way we do today. So I think they got to figure this out. They got to, and they got to do it soon because if the G league works for the NBA the NBA has no reason to work with NCAA in terms of getting their stuff together. That's an NCAA rule, not an NBA rule. So um, I don't know. We'll see.
0: Yeah. Cause the NCAA from what I've read um, EA sports, they're going to do NCAA football again, no timetable, but I think once we kind of get that going and then they ease up on kids, being able to get money from using their name and likeness, then maybe I could see kids wanting to go straight to college. But like you said, the NCAA need to figure out something because they're slowly losing their grip on amateurism. And it also didn't help that the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit went into the favor of the players. Because I mean, why should players not get a piece of the pie when the schools and everybody else are benefiting and eating off of your success?
1: See, I kind of go both ways with that argument because it's like, yes, those players should get something up for the time spent in there. Like right now we're going through a college basketball season where they're moving games around and trying to get games in so they can get to March Madness, which is the biggest moneymaker the NCAA has, uh, you know, over a billion dollars. and The kids aren't getting paid dime. They're getting paid uh, from the school. Um, but that's not enough for what they're doing. And On the other hand, like, well, the the swimmers don't get paid, the gymnasts don't get paid, the baseball players don't get paid, the soccer players don't get paid, the basketball players or the football players get paid. And the argument to that usually is those are the money-making programs at any school. Like you, The rest of them are probably running in the red. Uh, Football and basketball at a lot of these schools supports those other programs, and I'm seeing it here locally. You know, high schools uh, that I deal with here in the triad uh, with COVID going on and the football season getting moved to the spring – uh, in the beginning, they didn't know if they were going to play it at all or with fans. So a lot of these schools that I deal with here, they were concerned about their other programs, like things like women's volleyball or softball or, or tennis that are paid for with their football program and the, the money from the gate, you know, during those 10 weeks or whatever they're playing. And they don't have it. And even right now, as we stand right now, we're still up in the air in terms of the seasons will get played, but we don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands to, to help with those gates. Uh, And they push it to the end of the year. So there's like multiple things happening in the spring. So it's a, it's a, it's a complicated conversation to have. Uh, I don't know if college football and basketball in particular can ever get to a point where they can figure out how to fairly pay players. Because are you paying the star quarterback the same money you're paying a third string offensive tackle? Um, If if so, but are you paying those guys at Alabama the same money you're paying the guys at Elon? You know, like there's a lot to discuss with that. So I don't know if there's a clear cut answer.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned uh, high school football in North Carolina just uh, got underway and and out here in New Mexico, they're going to get underway next Friday. But what I noticed is that for a lot of kids with the lost time, a lot of them would transfer to private schools because you know the private schools don't have to follow the public school regulations they figure hey this is the time for me to get some tape so that somebody can see me and get a scholarship so has there been a lot of that going on in the triad with kids going from public to private to play because of the long wait in the season um
1: it uh some not not as much as i expected what's really happened here is that there were a lot of uh division one kids in the area it, primarily in football is what it affected. Um, a lot of kids in this area that were signed already, like early letter, letters of intent, or were getting uh, scouted and got offered early, and they decided to sign and go because we didn't know back in uh, October, November, if we were even going to have a high school football season. So a lot of those kids that would have stuck behind or stayed behind and played their senior years decided to leave and enroll early uh, at, at colleges uh, around the area. Simply because at that time, there was no guarantee they'd be able to play. So they, you know, through the urging of those coaches and parents and whatnot, they decided the best move for them was to go ahead and move on with their career, uh, move on with their education. And you can't hate a kid for that. I mean, it's their life. It's their career. It's their education that they're dealing with. You know, They've got families. They've got things they've got to take care of. Uh, and you got to look out for yourself. So, I mean, at that time, that was the best decision for those guys. Uh, the ones that stay behind, not knowing if they're going to play or not, they're being rewarded because they are getting a chance to play. And I think a lot of those teams where those seniors stayed behind are going to end up being uh, teams in contention for high school championships here in about uh, about two months
0: or so. Right. So how is the NCHSAA doing the playoffs this year with the condensed football season?
1: So there's there's eight classifications in North Carolina. Um yeah, have 4AA, 4A, 3AA, 3A, and down the line. Now, next year, they're supposed to be going back to just four classifications and grouping all those back into 4A, 3A, 2A, 1A. You ask coaches around the league, they're, they're kind of up in the air about that because uh, you're going to have teams that may have like uh, you know, 1,200 kids in attendance taking on teams from like Charlotte or someplace that 3,000 kids in attendance, and it's not exactly a level playing field. But before we get to next year, this year, from my understanding, uh, each division will have 16 teams that will be picked. Uh, I think each division has 12 conferences in it. So it'll be the 12 conference champions will get automatic bids. And then there'll be four at large bids, if I'm not mistaken, that'll be given out uh, from that. So it's a little harder to get in. Before it was, I think it was like a 32 team field for each classification. Pretty much everybody got in the playoffs um, and you pretty much the really like the top two or three teams got in from each conference. Uh, not so much with this one. It's a seven-week race. We just did week one on Tobacco Road uh, this past Thursday night. Uh, East Forsyth took on Glen, and West Forsyth took on Oak Grove. West Forsyth won their home opener. East Forsyth lost on the road uh, to Glen, 18 to zero. Um, but we'll have the full East Forsyth and West Forsyth schedules on Tobacco TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com through March and April, including the playoffs. Um, no one else was really airing games like that for individual schools here, and that's kind of part of the reason why Tobacco Road got born. So uh, we've been happy with with that and the, the those schools have put out for us, and uh, it's it's been pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, the cool thing about uh, the football playoffs here in New Mexico is that if you are a top four seed, you get a bye, you go to the next round, and for the Championship games for your classification is now on a neutral site, so if you're the high seed, they got to come to you.
1: Yeah, that's how we had it here up until this condensed version of the season, where um, the top four yeah, I think it was top four seeds uh, each bracket, each guy a first round, um into the second round, so you really need three games to get to the state championship and win it all. Uh, I, I, of course, I'm East Forsyth alumni. They were two-time state uh, champs in 4A, champs in that, uh, but they lost a lot of D1 kids early from what I was talking about because uh, they were loaded to begin with. Um, so we'll see what happens with them. West Forsyth's is always a tight, uh, tight-knit group, really good. They run the ball. They stop the run. I expect good things from them and Coach Snow out there. Uh, and again, I'm just thankful for the relationships we've fostered with these schools and these communities to be able to come in and actually – spotlight these kids that was the main thing i wanted to do was to have a uh, a platform that spotlighted high school athletes in the triad coaches in the triad uh hbcus in the triad and still give a focus on the pro stuff in north carolina panthers hornets nascar acc basketball there was so much stuff here and it just felt like there wasn't enough outlets to cover it all and um that's really how tobacco road got started so just shout out to east west east Versailles, west forsyth uh, all these high schools that are, that are helping us uh, get established in the triad.
0: Yeah. Um, have you happened to catch uh, Why Not Us about uh, North Carolina Central men's basketball? Is that going to produced by Chris Paul and the salem State alum Stephen A. Smith?
1: No, I'm actually in the middle of switching my ESPN Plus subscription, so I've not been able to get over to it to check it out. Um, I got something funky going on with my ESPN Plus. It's not that Hulu-Disney bundle thing. I started off Hulu, and I still have Disney+, Plus, but my ESPN Plus is saying I no longer have it, so I, I got to figure this out. I got to go through a bunch of, like, uh, boards and stuff and figure out where it's coming from and uh, connect it. But once I get it back on, I'm sure...
0: Yeah, definitely a dope, dope piece. You know, Coach Lavelle, Molden, like I said, is that produced by Chris Paul, who's alumni of Winston-Salem and Stephen A. Smith, alumnus of Winston-Salem State University. And like you said, sheds a light on HBCUs. And then of course, the, the disparities, the extra the HBCUs have to go through uh, not like PWIs you know with Deion Sanders now coaching at Jackson State that'll give a lot more light to kids going to HBCUs
1: yeah which is good um there's a lot of talent that comes out of HBCUs and uh you don't really get it exposed a lot I I don't know how long Deion will be at Jackson State um I would imagine eventually he's going to get called to Florida the Florida State um Probably. Or Florida State. Yeah, actually, that would be a great hire. Well, I shouldn't say it's a great hire. I don't really know how great of a coach Dion is yet. I know he's probably a really great motivator. Uh, He seems to be a hell of a recruiter because they're they're plucking D1 kids from these top schools to come to Jackson State. Uh, Florida State needs that in a bad way. So if they have a good first year, like after next fall, when we're back on regular schedule, if Jackson State shows out and has a good year, I would not be surprised if Florida State comes knocking uh, and throws a Brinks truck at him trying to get them to come home. Which would be would be huge. That would be huge for Florida State. Actually, that put them back in the national conversation again. So yeah, and that yeah, would make the, be that yeah, and make the happen.
0: Yeah, and that would make the Miami Florida State rivalry something again. Because back when we were growing up, that was the college football rivalry, Miami Florida State.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's another school, Miami, that I really would like to see kind of and and be who they are. Um, It's not like athletes left Florida, left the state of Florida, that Florida still pumps out athletes in basketball and football. It's just that they're leaving to go to other schools in the SEC and the ACC, where before Florida State, Miami, and Florida basically had them corralled uh, for Miami, like the southern part of Florida was the state of Miami pretty much. And like th- those kids all decided to stay home. And that's why Florida's got five national championships or whatever. If they can duplicate that, start getting that back again, um, then yeah, Miami could potentially be a problem down the road here too.
0: Yeah, Miami got Air Reed on staff. So the only thing Ed Reed got to do is just play early 2000s Miami Highlights do you par one mm. and two, and throw, it's halftime speed? Throw
1: on the U. <laughs>
0: throw, the, throw the U up. Get some of the old heads to come down. Yeah. To get them right, and and they'll be back to form. Just make sure you don't wear no camouflage, though.
1: <laughs> they uh man. I love I loved Miami uh, growing up as a kid. Like I, I just, they were kind of like Michigan before Michigan, but they were out there winning stuff, you know. And they just knew who they were. They had a certain swagger about them, especially in college football. That carries. Like I love teams that carry a certain uh, level of swagger about them the mid 2000 uh usc trojans with reggie bush and Lindell white and uh that was my squad like i love those dudes like that was my, my college football teams and right now i'm starting to see Mac brown kind of build this in north carolina with the recruiting classes that come in uh the ones that have been there uh, and he started to pump some kids into the NBA, uh, NFL. So maybe I went right here underneath our nose here in North Carolina starting to build itself into a national power. Uh, we'll find out this upcoming season. It'll be a tell season for uh, the Tar Heels in football.
0: Yeah, which I think would be great because North Carolina has always been looked at as a basketball state, you know, with all the talent that came out of Kingston over the years, the triad area, and football, it always been a afterthought because basketball has been the primary focus in our home state but it's good to see Mac Brown coming back to Carolina and really saying like hey we want to be on the same par like the basketball team and really build something special at uh, Keenan Stadium.
1: Yeah and it's not like Carolina can't do it they've got the facilities to do it um, you know Bush Davis had this team like this uh, years before you know before all the scandal and everything came out he had them on the same path uh, where Carolina was starting to get ranked in the top 10. They were starting to put guys in the NFL. They were having top recruiting classes, and then it kind of fell apart underneath them. Uh, I think Mac was brought back to do that same thing, but do it the right way. And so far, so good, man. I've been super impressed with what he's doing. Carolina football has been fun to watch again. Uh, most Carolina fans up until two years ago would tell you, you know, their sports season starts in November when the basketball team <laughs> rolls the ball out. We don't get our hopes up with the football team because it usually lets us down, but... Not anymore. Carolina football is here again, and uh, it's going to be here for a little while as long as Mac is in charge. So I'm very pleased with what they've been doing. All
0: right, some quick hitters, and then I'm going to get you out of here on this. Do you think the Lakers back-to-back title hopes are in trouble with AD being out and with LeBron having to carry the load until AD can get back healthy?
1: I'm not worried about LeBron. He puts too much money into his body to – me worry about him you know blowing a tire or something like that he'll be fine i'm the the lakers because they to me they're not even the best team in the west uh right now the utah jazz are beating rights off of everybody um they're the best three-point shooting team in the league they're one of the top defensive teams in the league donovan mitchell is a star uh rudy gobert is a defending defensive player of the year i know he caught a lot of jokes for the the microphone stuff at the beginning of COVID. Uh, but they're playing really, really well. The West is loaded. I think the Lakers, if AD is healthy, I don't think there's a team in the West that can beat them in a seven-game series except maybe Utah. Uh, I don't trust East except for maybe the Nets I'm starting to come around on them because they're starting to play defense um, and I'm curious about my Hornets, to be honest. The, the Hornets are, like, half a game out of, like, the fourth seed. As we record this, everyone's bunched at the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings. And uh, all of a sudden, due to drafting LaMelo Ball and bringing in Gordon Hayward and some of these guys, they've drafted, like, Malik Monk uh, and Miles Bridges growing up, the Hornets have become must-see TV. Like, they really have. Like, they've become an NBA team that's fun to watch. And uh, I really hope they get into the playoffs and make some noise uh, in the Eastern Conference and continue to keep this young core together. They can go 10-11 deep and they and coach Brego usually does and they are they're really fun to watch. I just I, I I'm I'm not sure but to answer your original question, if AD is healthy, no, I'm not worried about the Lakers. If he's not healthy, then the Lakers aren't going to make it back to the finals this year.
0: Right. And Fun fact, for those you that don't know, coach Brego at the Hornets from New Mexico, Albuquerque.
1: That's right. And he comes from the Popovich system in San Antonio, Uh, the Hornets kind of run like a kind of hybrid triangle sort of a motion offense from the Spurs, sort of. It's kind of like a hodgepodge of it uh, where the ball is just constantly in the air. They're constantly moving it by passing it. And I love it. LaMelo has changed the culture of this team in, you know, just a few short months. And I can't wait to see what they do going forward with them.
0: All right, will the Panthers risk it all for Deshaun Watson, a whole pack, and draft a QB in this year's draft?
1: They better, I mean, in terms of going after Watson. Watson's 25 years old. His his hometown is like, like an hour away from Charlotte, down in Georgia. Um, it would make too much sense for Deshaun Watson to be a Carolina Panther next year if they don't have to give up Christian McCaffrey, uh, if they can keep McCaffrey. I still bring in Watson. I know people are hung up on this whole it's going to take three ones to get him and a couple of defensive starters probably and blah blah blah. People aren't thinking about the fact that okay, well, the, the first round pick here, if if we don't use it on Watson, we're probably using it on one of those picks. Those other two picks in 2021 and 2022, 2023, I should say. If Watson is as good as advertised, and you're keeping most of the offense together, those aren't going to be high first-round picks. Those are going to be low, in like the late twenty-two, high second-round picks that you'd be giving up for Watson. Uh, and plus, you just brought Scott Fitterer from the Seattle Seahawks to be your new general manager. The one thing the Seahawks were able to do during the first half of Pete Carroll's run was build their defense and their offense through middle to late round picks. If you look at the Legion of Boom, the only first round pick in the Legion of Boom was Earl Thomas. Everyone else, Richard Sherman was like a fourth round pick. Cam Chancellor was like a third round pick. Uh, those guys were, were were found through talent evaluators. You can build your team without having a bunch of first round picks. So uh, I'm just, the mentality of a lot of Panther fans, I think they're just thinking we're going to be bad for a while, so we should hold on to these picks. It's not worth it. And if you got a chance to get a generational talent like Deshaun Watson that clearly he's still gonna have 10 years in front of him he's 25 you know you you go get him if if he's available and you need him you go get him because you can't you have you have burned the bridge with Teddy Bridgewater at this point from comments you've made in the media uh things you've said that weren't really levels of support for him going forward if I'm not mistaken Teddy Bridgewater has done follow the Panthers on Instagram over the mm-hmm. past week or so so it's behind the scenes is slowly building to a head here. And I think really they're just waiting on the Texans to finally say, okay, we're taking trade offers for them, which right. they haven't done yet.
0: Right. Which, which I think they should, cause Deshaun doesn't want to be there. And he doesn't want to play clear this season that, play that Teddy B is not it. He's a bridge guy. See what I did there. And also shout out to Jennifer King, who just got promoted to be on the Washington football team staff full time. And I believe she's from Reesville.
1: She is. She is. Um, she went to Greensboro College, if I'm not mistaken. And I think we're going to try to get her on uh, Tobacco Road to over the next couple of weeks. So uh, definitely look out for that um, as well.
0: All right. And um, last thing, do you think that the college football playoff will and should be expanded? Because as we saw this past season with the success of Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina, it's almost like for, if you're outside of the power five, it's near impossible for you to break through that top four.
1: I mean, I think it probably should be expanded, but I don't know what the sweet number is. Like, I kind of sat on six. Like, I'd like the top six to get in, because if you get past that, Start getting down to the lower part of the top 10, top 15, those teams really probably don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Like the number ninth team in the country or the 12th team in the country probably don't need to be in the playoffs because they're gonna probably lose that game to Alabama or whoever it is. But if you take the top six, then you kind of open it up where the one seed, the two seed get buys for that first round. They get buys to the semifinal, and you have you know three play six and four play five. And you're going to get teams that are similar to each other. That probably would have put Cincinnati maybe in there. It maybe would have got Coastal Carolina closer to it this past year. Um, But then you kind of get that – you get them to have a chance to be in there. Uh, So say like – say that sixth seed was – I'm trying to think. Uh, Past year. And Cincinnati upsets – uh, Notre Dame in, in that 3-6 matchup or whatever. Now Cincinnati's in the final or the final four and they're, them they're taking on Clemson or, or Ohio State or whatever it is, but they, they legitimize their reason to be there as opposed to just being in the final four, getting blown out in that game, and everyone's like, well, what are you doing here? Like Kind of like what happened with Notre Dame the past couple times they've been in the final 4 it's like, well, what are they doing here? Like, they don't deserve to be here. But throughout the whole year, like, there was to be in there. If you make it six teams instead of four – and yet Notre Dame in the five-seed or whatever, Notre Dame's got to win three games to win the whole thing as opposed to. And that would justify the haters. That justify people saying they didn't deserve to be there. The ones like Alabama and Clemson shouldn't have to play three games if they're 12-0 and, and beating everyone down, you know, by 20 points or plus or whatever in a major conference. So I say six, but with TV deals and stuff, I don't think they can even attempt to expand it to like, like 2025 or 2027 or something like that. So we're still a long ways away before they – get a chance to, to even fiddle with it again.
0: Right. I think it should be expanded, but like you and I know there's a lot of money in this college football playoff and then all the lower tier bowl games like the Popeye's Bowl, the whatever Credit Union Bowl or the Bojangles Bowl, or hey, maybe one day we we'll have the Tobacco Road Sports Radio Bowl.
1: That, uh... <laughs> That's uh, you're, you're thinking way further ahead than uh, than where I was with it. But um, like I said, we started Tobacco Road because I saw uh, actually, you know what, what really happened? I was around the same period of time, I got laid off from uh, a sports radio network here in the triad uh, due to budget cuts right before COVID, November of 2019. And I started doing some podcast work and uh, you know, some individual mixes for people and just basically kind of working from home and uh and then I saw months later after COVID hit and sports kind of got shut down for a while um local newspapers here in the area started laying off sports writers like long-term NSMA winners like Ed Harden uh Jay Spivey these guys have been around for 15 20 years and they just let them go there was like no no place else for them to go And I'm just sitting here thinking there's so much of a wealth of talent here in the tribe that's just sitting around doing nothing in sports. Uh, Let me build something. Let me build some sort of platform where we can take advantage of this talent. And Tobacco Road Sports Radio was born out of that uh, idea. We launched Labor Day weekend uh, of 2020. And we've grown from being on just Saturday mornings to uh, right now we're running a a Friday afternoon lineup each Friday where the rundown's currently uh, at 4 o'clock. Uh, live with Brandon Blakeney, where he has on top high school athletes and coaches, prep stars, primarily uh, on his show. You can't find that anywhere else in the state, really, uh, in the pit stop with James Wilson, where uh, it's dedicated to auto racing NASCAR. They just had Alex Bowman on uh, this past Friday. Uh, they get top in NASCAR drivers, pit crew, and they talk They talk a lot of you know NASCAR, which you can't get anywhere in the tribe right now either. Um saturday mornings we have programming on it's all locally produced here in the triad not at fox sports or espn or whatever it's here it's locally based uh with the Triad in mind and we're currently in the middle of developing a new morning show um i have an idea of what it's going to be i just don't want to reveal it yet uh but it'll be kind of in the vein of uh you know first talk or or first take or undisputed kind of like a morning type debate type show um It'll be tried so it's something new that we haven't really had to try it either uh, in North Carolina. So we're excited about the stuff that's going on with TRSR and uh, the people that are starting to find us.
0: Yeah, I um, listen to Tobacco Road Sports Radio on uh, Spotify, where you have the condensed versions of the programs that air and it's very good content, very good product. And it's a niche that I feel needs to be filled. Cause like you stated that there's not a lot of coverage of sports in and around the triad and you're giving it that big network feel and appeal. And it's something that I believe people love and you're giving the people what they want in the words of Jalen and Jacoby.
1: Yeah, and we just wanted it to be simple. We wanted for people to get to it easily. One of the things that drove me nuts at the sports station that I worked at at the time was that it wasn't just one frequency, uh, it was multiple smaller frequency across the triad. So if you're driving from, uh, you know, from west, like driving across the triad through like Forsyth and into Guilford and into Alamance counties, you had to change the channel three different times as you're driving just to keep the signal because the signal was so much smaller as you were driving in and out of these counties. So we bypassed that whole thing entirely. We're like, you know, we don't want an AMFM signal. We don't need any of that. Uh, All these radio stations are trying to get digital anyway. So let's just do it digitally. Uh, You go to tobaccoroadsportsradio.com. If you're on an Android device and you go in through your Chrome browser, the first time you go there, uh, a pop-up will pop up and ask you, do you want to add this as a bookmark to your, your phone? And literally when you do that, it basically acts as an app where it'll it'll put an app icon on your phone. You just click that, go in, click the play button. Uh, like I said, we have content running right now, Monday through Fridays from 8 a.m. to 12 noon, uh, all day Saturday in the, or Friday in the afternoons. Uh, live sports, high school sports, we're, we're the exclusive carrier for East Forsyth football and West Forsyth football, so you can catch their full schedules with us. I think we're doing baseball down the road here. Uh, I, we're negotiating with the Dash to do Tuesday Night Baseball night of the week. So we'll have that coming up uh, that we're planning that we'll be putting out uh, over the next couple of weeks. And we're just trying to continue to grow what we're doing uh, right now.
0: All right. And fun question. I'm going to get you out of here. I'm a foodie. I know you're a foodie. Which barbecue is better, Eastern North, Eastern Carolina barbecue or Western Carolina barbecue?
1: What is Western Carolina?
0: Barbecue? Western Carolina is that barbecue. More of the
1: tomato or... that's
0: more of the tomato based sauce and Eastern Carolina is more of the vinegar based.
1: Vinegar. Uh well, we call it Lexington style here. So I'm gonna go with the Lexington style, uh, the Western barbecue, I guess you could say. I, I like my barbecue uh, with uh, that ketchup base. Mm. I don't mind a little vinegar in the barbecue itself, but I prefer to have that thick kind of Smoky barbecue sauce, as opposed to the thin vinegary. I can eat either one, right? Uh, but I prefer the the Western. Uh, I'm, I can't call it. what I'm call it bar, uh, Lexington, Lexington barbecue. barbecue. I'm in North barbecue. Carolina. I can't call it like Lex- Western style. Sounds funny to me. So, uh, yeah, Lexington style is my favorite.
0: Yeah, because I only have. Yeah, cause I only had the Lexington <laughs> style once um, when I was at UNCG. I went to Stamey's right across from the Coliseum. I had it; it oh, was plate. pretty dope. But of course, with me being from the eastern side of the state, I'm used to that vinegar-based sauce. Where you
1: used to the vinegar base? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you chop I, I it think, up?
0: In the actually, vinegar.
1: lately I've been on this tip with uh, Have you ever had Carolina Gold before? It's like a mustard base.
0: Yeah, I think that's like primarily like South Carolina, where they use like the mustard mustard base.
1: I've been eating that on dry rub ribs. Like my favorite ribs are Memphis style baby back dry rub that Mm -hmm. I can actually dip in whatever. And I've been eating like this Carolina gold uh, barbecue sauce. It's like mustard based. Um, It's kind of sweet, but tangy from the mustard. It goes well with the dry rub. So -hmm. I've been eating that a lot. I really want this Alabama white sauce uh, that I keep seeing. It's like a mayo base. Which scares my wife off of me, So I haven't bothered to try to make I it. I tried it. But, it's trash. Uh, it's
0: really, trash. it's See, trash. You got to really
1: like nail. You, know, you it, like to, You, it, know, it, you it, like nail to do it. Nah,
0: nah. It's 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 trash. It's trash, dog. I I, t- I tell you that right now. It, coming from a barbecue connoisseur such as myself, that white sauce right. is trash. But I'm gonna tell you a good barbecue spot here on the <laughs> eastern side of the state. Go to Kinston. There's this barbecue spot I believe either King's or Parker's one of the two. They have this sandwich called okay. puppy, puppy on the pig whereas the barbecue sandwich yeah. but for the bun they use hush puppies.
1: Huh. So like so, squash down like or So so
0: so so they use like the hush puppy mix but and then they form it like a bun. So you're eating a barbecue sandwich, but the hush puppy is the bun where it's where it's like a regular bun for a sandwich, but it's just hush puppy. So you get the best of both worlds where you get your barbecue, coleslaw, and your hush puppy. And with Roy Cooper enacting, lifting that curfew up, yard parties are <laughs> gonna be in effect soon. Uh, <laughs> Cause you know, being oh, from North Carolina, being from North Carolina, if the weather is up 60 degrees, somebody's cranking that grill.
1: It's uh, it's around 60 right now um, after we just had a cool spell um, here. Matter of fact, my my Saturday plans, I have to actually build a website for somebody. And my Saturday plans was after I did this with you, I'm hopping in the car, I'm driving to Lexington uh, to pick up a pizza from Godfather's. It's my annual Godfather, well, not annual, it's my semi-monthly Godfather's pizza trip. They're the only one within like 100 miles of my house. So I have to drive down Highway 52 and pick it up. Um, I usually go about once every two months and I'll pick up one from out there. One of the best pizzas around. Don't let anybody take it. Uh, and that's my, my, my move for today. I'm going to grab some Godfathers and fill around with a website or two, do some audio work and, uh, just keep pushing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So before we close any outs you want to give plug social media and also where people can find the content for tobacco road sports radio.
1: Yeah, so we're all over the place. Like you mentioned, um, our our broadcaster at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. So definitely bookmark that. Go there. Uh, like I said, we're in the process of rebuilding the format. We had something there that uh, that we've dropped, and uh, we're going to be. Uh, I think I have an idea of what's going to be there. That should be pretty fun for everyone. Um, if you miss any of those shows, you can actually find. The podcast versions on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, uh, Podcast Network, which is on Spotify, Anchor, Google, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Podbean. All you have to do is just go and search Tobacco Road Sports Radio, and all of it will start popping up for you. I didn't realize it, but we're also on TuneIn. Um, so if you want to listen to those shows there, you can listen to them there as well. Just look up Tobacco Road Sports Radio. The live sports stuff, you kind of got to listen to it live, although we do replay them. Um, Just got to keep an eye on the schedule. Uh, Follow Tobacco Road Sports Radio on Twitter at Tobacco Radio. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Tobacco Road Sports Radio. I'm on Twitter at Dez underscore 3505. That's D-E-Z underscore 3505. That's pretty much it. I mean, we pretty much put everything out there that we can. Uh, I'm so proud of the crew that I've put together with Tobacco Road. Like I said, we've put out – a large amount of content this week, more so than we normally do with the start of the high school football season finally. So uh, East Recife has a coaches show that we produce each week. West Recife has a coaches show we produce each week. And both of those places just, uh, both of those shows just landed locations for us to do those remotely. So starting next week, uh, the Ness with head coach Todd Willard, the East Recife show is at East Coast Wings in Kernsville every Tuesday night at 7.30. Uh, Titans talk with head coach Adrian Snow from West Recife is at Mozzie's Ales and Spirits and Clemens every Monday night at 7.30, and those are broadcasted out live on TRSR. So uh, a lot of stuff going on. I've been extremely busy, uh, but I can't complain. I'd rather be busy than just sitting around doing nothing. Um, and it feels good to, to put together an idea of something I thought the tribe might like and see it sort of organically grow on its own. But we got a long way to go, um, a long way to go, and we're hoping 2021 will be – a year where more people recognize what TRSR actually is.
0: Right. And if you're not on it, go to all those outlets to find it. And you can find this interview in audio and video form, whether it's Apple, Breaker, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Verbal, wherever you stream, and on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. And join the Facebook group Beyond the Album Cover, Facebook.com to get updated with all things related to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the man behind Tobacco Road Sports Radio, Jack of All Trades, Master of None, Food Connoisseur, <laughs> fellow UNCG alum like myself, and all-around good brother, Desmond Johnson. Des, thank you for, back- for coming back on to Beyond the Album Cover.
1: Hey, man, anytime. Anytime you need anything, let me know. Um, anytime you want to come on, let me know. And uh, we might have to set up something to have you come on and, and guest on one of our programming on uh, TRSR, as much as you follow sports and everything as well, uh, you a check out your podcast as well by doing so. So I'll be in touch to, to book something with you for sure.
0: Oh, yeah, most definitely.